Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. This is Angelique Luna, and I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime husband, John C. Luna. Hello, everyone. And tonight we have a special guest. It's Emmy Kawati. Did I do it right? Kanawati. Kanawati. Okay. Um, she is an award-winning certified sexuality educator. She is the founder of Talk and Thrive Education, LLC, which she helps parents raise sexually healthy children through workshops, coaching, and online classes. She's been an, an educator for over 18 years and is very involved in her community as the co-coordinator for the Nashville Alliance for Sexual Health and Sex Positive Nashville. She lives in Nashville with her daughter and husband and can't make anything Pinterest worthy. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I love that last part. Yeah, because I, I, I'm i with you, girl. I, I can't do Pinterest that much. I, I'll share, but. I know. I love looking at it, but I it's just, it, it's a disaster. <laughs> so tell us a lot more about yourself there, because your background was like, okay, this is perfect before we go into our other topics here. <laughs> controversy to controversy. That's, that's, what, that's the way we do it, right? Of course. I, I was just saying to you all that um, I was born and raised in Honduras in Central America and lived there till I was 18 and then came to the States for college. Um, and my dad is a first generation Arab, Palestinian Arab born in Honduras. And my mother is an American Jew. And they met there and um, decided that, you know, they would try and make peace work. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> And my brother and I are the uh, results of that. Um, and yeah, I, as I was saying to you all, that you know, I'm kind of the peace process embodied. If only, if only the the world could get along as well as my parents, <laughs> that would it's, be good. It's good to know a good example of love wins. Yes, love, love is love, right? <laughs> Yeah, so which kind of makes it comical that you became a sexuality educator. Now, how did that come across? Yeah, so. I actually come from a very long line of activists and advocates. Um, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, she escaped the pogroms in Russia and came to the United States. Um, and then my grandparents on my mom's side were both uh, labor organizers and communists who were asked to name names. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then went on to do consumer advocacy work. And then my mother is a cultural anthropologist who ended up doing breastfeeding promotion uh, work and uh, nutrition, um, consulting and advocacy. And so then I, I, my, my path in the activist route was sexuality education. <laughs> but it's, it, the, the thread through that is, uh, is really activism and advocacy and uh, you know, just trying to make the world a slightly better place than when we came into it and leave it. So, 
Oh, absolutely. And I could tell a lot with your Facebook posts and Thrive and Thriving, you know, because I do share a lot of it on Live the Sex Positive Life because yeah. I do believe that the kids do need to know this information and the parents need to know that they need to be the experts so their kids could talk to them there. Yeah. So, and you do a fabulous job there. And I know on your website, you do offer coaching classes, packages, seven easy steps to yeah. how to get those parents. there for a second. Yeah. And so, nope, we still got the audio. We got the audio. We're all good. So, <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. So for our listeners, usually we just do audio, but today we're playing around with the video. So we're making funny faces and expressions. So it makes it more entertaining tonight. So in case you're trying to wonder, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Kind of deal. Well, but, thank you. Actually, thank you for sharing the posts. And I share a lot of your stuff as well um, because that's kind of the – the, the later side for parents to think about in terms of their children. Um, but the thing is, like, um, I, I do with the, the Sex Positive Nashville meetup group that we do here in town, um, we, uh, I've done work around sex positive parenting mm-hmm. um, because that is when it starts, right? Like, it starts in the home, it starts in your childhood, um, and it makes it a lot easier than to become a sex positive adult <laughs> if it's a thread that's actually worked throughout your whole life. But most of us aren't that lucky. Most of us don't grow up with that kind of environment. Um, and that's, that's my goal for the world is to make, make parenting and childhood more sex positive um, so that we get more sex positive adults which, and sexually healthy adults, which is what we need in the world. <laughs> Amen to that, because half the time when I'm teaching my workshops on, you know, age-appropriate sex education, I always have to, you know, rewind and go back and try to fix the sexual shame the parent's going through. Oh, completely. That is that is my number one thing. I'm like, oh, it's, it's always because so much of the issues that parents have and the blocks and the obstacles and the the difficulty and the awkwardness, so much of it comes from our own stuff and their own stuff Mm -hmm. that I'm like, I need to do a literally a parallel workshop of how do you heal your, you know, how do yeah. How do you heal heal your sexuality? So yeah. And it's always interesting. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of workshops for the Latino community here in town. And um, I, I do a lot of puberty workshops with them in particular. And uh, at the end of that workshop, inevitably, inevitably, somebody comes up to me. It's usually moms who comes up to me and says, I don't want to have sex with my husband. Can you help me with that, too? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. It's the Latino community. I get it. I'm Mexican. I, I know the stigma. I know that we don't talk about it. You only procreate. And, you know, you're not supposed to have sex. But when it comes to wedding night, you're supposed to have sex and you're supposed to know everything. Yeah, yeah not. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, craziness. So yeah, um, so yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, the fact is, is that there's so much sexual healing that needs to take place for adults. Because I think it's really hard to give something to your children that you don't have yourself. It's not impossible, um, but it just it's a lot harder and um, uh, just a lot more difficult, I think. And I'm, it sounds like you've found that as well. 
Oh yeah, especially in Latinos. So that that you know, I, it also still surprised me. Sometimes I do find it with the other cultures, but between like the African American community and the Latino community, that sexual shame is right there. And yeah. I think also that does start with body image and clothing. Yeah. That yeah. you know what certain people are supposed to wear, and it's always the girl's fault, which drives yeah. me insane. Oh my gosh! Well, there's just so much uh, focus on how girls, in particular, look. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you're always getting comments about, oh, you know, about your weight, about the clothes, about um, about the shoes, like that you should be wearing, or you know, the makeup, the. Um, there's so much uh, focus on that from such an early age. Um, and that makes girls in particular, I think, really hyper aware of their bodies mm-hmm. and the potential effects it has on people or how people react to it. Um, and so, so yeah, it's a huge, it's definitely a huge issue. Yeah, I was kind of proud a couple of days ago they had an uh, article where a bunch of boys were wearing off-the-shoulder shirts to support yeah. the girls because they thought yeah. that dress code violation was ridiculous and especially with you know the heat because I guess they were in a warm climate. I I can't remember what town they were but I know it was just hot enough that it was okay for the girls to show their shoulders so the boys just kind of supported that. Yeah, no that's that's always cool when you get those kinds of allies. <laughs> but I, I had an interesting win very recently. Um, I had a, a parent that I was coaching around exactly that. Her nine-year-old wanted to wear crop tops and wedge heels. And um, they were having a lot of conflict around this and a lot of fights. around. Was, she said it was probably responsible for like 80% of their conflict was around clothes. And so we sat down and I said, you know, I, I mean, it was a long conversation, but I'm going to synthesize it for our purposes. But I said, you know, so what, what's, what, what's hard about this? What's hard about seeing her this way, you know, and dressing in these things? And so she actually had a moment to actually think about it. You know, she said, you know, I, she realized that it was her difficulty with it. Mm-hmm. And it was her fear about what other parents were going to say about why is she letting her daughter dress that way? Um, and it was all of that that was going on in her head that made it, you know, and of course, all of the, you know, why are you sexualizing yourself so early? And that's not okay. And people are going to look at you and people are going to react and all that kind of stuff. And so we talked through that. And, we, you know, we talked about, well, so if you accept the fact that people react to girls in general, uh, uh, or mostly, I should say, um, if they react to what they're wearing, no matter what they're re- wearing, right? Mm-hmm. We know that how somebody dresses doesn't cause, and I put that in quotes, uh, cause them to be raped or anything like that. If we accept that premise, then it really shouldn't matter what they want to wear, right? Mm-hmm. It's their body, and they get to make that decision from a very early age um, within reason, right? Like, you know, if you're going to go hiking you're not going to wear high heels that's probably not a good idea right um but within reason like how much can we respect their autonomy in terms of what they choose to wear and so i actually just spoke with her last night and she gave me an update and she said uh that our conversation changed her life she said that um they have had they have had no conflict over this she sat her daughter down and said to her 
you know what? From now on, I'm not going to tell you what to wear. I'm not going to make any comments about you get to wear whatever you want to wear. At school, you have to abide by the rules. But other than that, you get to do basically, you know, whatever you want. And her daughter didn't believe her. She was like, nah, you're kidding me, right? Like, no, this is not true. And she kept trying to push. You know, she kept trying to push and push. And and she, this this parent, she was really great, actually. She really stuck by it. And uh, just recently, they were going to go on a trip. And um, she asked her daughter, she said, oh, you know, we're packing. Do you want to take your wedge heels? And her daughter was like, no, actually, because we're going to be running around. So that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> and so she was like, yes, <laughs> you know, like, because what, what, what had happened, what happens with these conflicts is particularly developing children, what they're, they're trying to find their identity. Right. And so much of it is in contrast to their parents and in, in, in conflict with their parents. And so when a parent puts up a fight around this, around a particular issue, the kids will push up against that, even if it's not necessarily what they want, but because they want to assert their power in some way and their identity in some way, right? So all of a sudden, this thing that she had been, that her daughter had been pushing against for so long wasn't there anymore. So all of a sudden, she's like, she hasn't worn the crop tops. She's just been dressing completely differently all of a sudden, not because her mom told her to, but because it just came from her and she she wasn't fighting against anything. Instead, she had the liberty to figure out who she wanted to be and how she wanted to dress um, and not make it, uh, you know, this is who I am and this is my identity. And it was just so gratifying to hear that anecdote. Um, I was like, yay, it works. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's a huge deal. I get, I get, you know, in, uh, again, mostly it's parents who are concerned about how their girls are dressing. Like that's the biggest concern. And there's this, there's this push and pull between, you know, this concept of liberty and empowerment versus objectification and self-objectification. Um, and so how to walk that line is, is really tricky. I think, um, for, for parents of, in particular, again, girls, I think. I don't know what your experience has been. Yes, we have a 16-year-old demonic child. We know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is, I, it, it I, is, I, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I was going to ask how, how you all handled that. Oh. <laughs> it, it's always a constant battle because, A, my mom's, is still old school Mexican. And yeah. so of course she's on my case, which ends up to be on my daughter's case, but yeah. I'm always fighting with her. Majority of the time I fight with her is because of dress code. That's the only time we really push on what she's wearing yeah. because I don't want to deal with the school. I'm a type of parent that well, I, I don't want to deal with the school period. There's one other time we mess with, with how she's dressed and that's when we're visiting the in-laws. Right. Because we don't want to hear the, why is she dressing like that? Why is your shorts this yeah. short? I'm like, it, it's it's the same thing everyone else wears. Right. And, you know, the kids watch TV and go on the internet and they see, they have all this media of sex pushed at them and this is how they wear. I don't yeah. know if my daughter's ever worn a one piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. she. I just can't remember the last time. I think she was seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
that was yeah. the last time that she wore a one piece. But that's what she sees on TV. If you watch even these shows on Disney Channel, I'm watching yep. Disney Channel and they're all in bikinis. I'm going. I had to sneak around when I was a kid to see girls in bikinis. I never yeah. turned on the Disney Channel and got that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's it's definitely tricky. Um, and 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 unfortunately, I think there's so much shame around it, right? Like again, it's like girls can't win, <laughs> right? Agreed. If you, you're either a prude or you're a slut. Like those are the, you know, it's, there's very little in between. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's tough, <laughs> but I hear you. I mean, dealing, dealing with other people, that's half, <laughs> I've that's... got 99 problems and 99 of them are other people. <laughs> exactly. Especially it's both our mothers because yeah. they're in that old school mentality that they both need sexually healing. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, we, yeah. my mom is married to my dad. My dad knows what I do. My mom still kind of acknowledges and kind of doesn't. She hides <laughs> it. She totally hides it. She, you know, and I've been doing this for eight years now, okay? So it's the sexual education is nothing new and talking about sex, okay? Yeah. Yep. But yet my dad's pushing me to, like, fix your mom. I'm like, no, I'm not touching that for a while. Dead football. I was like, go find someone else. Here's a reference yeah. sheet. <laughs> Here's a good coach. Here's a good therapist. <laughs> but it is, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I, I guess, so if, for example, if, if, if you all had come to me and you're not, so, you know, just take this with, with the, with the intention that it's that role it's playing. Not. It's all good. If you, if you all had come to me with this issue, uh, one thing, one thing that I might coach around or say around that would be like, what would it, what would it mean for your daughter, for you to stand up for her in front of your parents or the in-laws? Like, what would that mean to her? Unfortunately, what it means is they attack her. And then mm. when they realize she tunes it out, they attack us. Mm. And then when we get home, our daughter then attacks us. Right. And we're kind of sitting here going, but but we're on the sidelines. We're in the safe zone. We, we're we trying to stay out of this way, but no. Yeah, she doesn't acknowledge or realizes what we go through to stand up for her rights and protect yeah. her you know, autonomy. And I'm like, dude, be your own self. Discover who you are. Yeah. And, you know, we'll fight the big fight. But after a while, it does get very draining getting beat the crap out. From our parents who are yeah. old school and don't understand, it's like we're doing it different. And to be honest, because of our parents, we end up in therapy for many, many years. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the bottom line, right? Is uh, well, I always say, you know, most of our kids should end up in therapy. It's just whether it's going to be five years or twenty. Like that's that's the <laughs> that's kind of how I see it. We can decide how much we're going to screw them up. <laughs> Hopefully, um, but yeah, no, I hear you. Um, it, I, what, what does she say when you all? I assume you've had these conversations when you're all calm and not like, you know, coming back from only when you've come back from the family gatherings and you know tempers and people are afraid and stuff like that. No, we do, and we usually prep her on the way there mm-hmm. to say, you know, now, now put on your your your. I don't want to say big boy pants, but put on your tough skin is what I usually say. Because yeah. mama, uh, they, they're going to say stuff yeah. that 
they don't even realize they're saying it. They say stuff that can be interpreted very hurtfully. And yeah. occasionally, you know, a daughter is sensitive. Sure. And it destroys her. And they're just like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. So it's kind of like a, a, a hard a hard situation to deal with, to say the least. Well, I guess maybe then the, the other side of it would be, you know how, um, uh, are, you, are you, I assume, uh, well, are you all familiar with John Gottman's work? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. So, you know, is the, the thing about, you know, for every negative interaction, you need five interact, five positive interactions to make mm-hmm. up for it. So I guess, you know, sometimes we focus on the negative so much and trying to change the negative when in fact, if we can, um, if we can just increase the positive. So, uh, what, 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 what are the ways that you all, uh, are able to positively reinforce her sense of autonomy and agency, um, over her own body and, you know, making sure that there are enough of those as well, because it doesn't, I mean, you can't change your family, right? Like, no, <laughs> no, that's a lost cause altogether. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so the relationship that's important really here, mm-hmm. it, 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 or maybe in that moment, the priority is your relationship with her, right? Not losing that connection. Because that was the other thing, you know, we talked about with, with this parent. It was like, you know, the problem with, with these, when you end up having these conflicts around clothes, at the end of it, nobody, nobody feels good. Nobody won. Everybody feels like crap. And everybody's angry. And you, you, chances are you haven't solved anything. And so what that is, is a break in the relationship. And so what I coach parents around is, look, the most important thing about around this stuff is the relationship that you create with your child. And because we know that that's the biggest protective factor in terms of, in terms of everything, actually, is the, the connection that you have with your child. And so that needs to be the priority. Um, and so when there are these breaks, because there are, that, that's just inevitable, right? In fact, they're good because it helps kids learn and practice how to do that with people that they know love them and will be there for them regardless, right? So you can have a conflict and still be in connection. Um, so, but this is where they get to practice that. Um, and so, you know, how do you be in connection and still in conflict? And so that's a good, it's a good um, skill for for the kiddos to learn i think yeah we do very much try to reassure her she's beautiful that she has every right to make her decision you know and and just be conscious of other people's opinions there but to really you know give her like a strong backbone to say hey you know if this is what you're deciding to do just know the consequences there you know because that's very important because i do want her to be independent and that she can take care of herself without mom and dad swooping in and you know taking care of the problem yeah yeah because that's not that's not going to help because you're not going to be there forever exactly my goal is a year and a half she'll be 18 come on it's like... <laughs> I, I, I totally hear you yeah it's it's tough um educating families you know the other the the um one of the biggest concerns also that parents have when I, when I really talk to them about how to, how to talk about these issues, uh, or how, actually more the, you know, the sex talk, like how do you, uh, if you tell your, if you tell your child how most babies are made and born, you know, the literally the second or third question after that is, well, what if they go and tell their friends 
<laughs> you know, what if what uh, then I have a parent kind of, you know, who's who's coming reclamando me, you know, yeah. why did you tell my kid there's, you know, your kid told my kid this. And I said, well, you know, yes, I get how that's real, like living in the world with people who have different opinions and ways of parenting is hard. And um, and that can be hard. And I'm really sorry that happened. And, you know, the fact is, is my kid hears a lot of things that I don't want them to hear either. Mm-hmm. But that's part of living in the world and being in the world and living with other people. And um, and you, you and saying, like, I'm choosing to parent my child this way and I'm choosing to tell them the truth um, because I think it's important and I think it's protect protecting my child. And so I'm sorry. It's not, I mean, there's not much else you can do. <laughs> um, but then also, like, deciding, making a conscious decision, an intentional decision about, well, how much of your parenting are you going to make? How much of your parenting decisions are you going to make based on what other people think or how other people think you should raise your child? And, uh, and that's a, you know, it's a tough, most of us on some level do that, right? Like what other people think or what other people say to some extent influences what we do. Um, so sometimes we just have to make more of an intentional decision. It's like, well, do I want that in this case or not? And, and yeah, so that's the, that's a tough, that's the tough decision there. And unfortunately, um, we've seen in that situation, you're going to lose friends and you may not be popular at the parent teacher meetings. But if you're doing what you think is right for your child, um, screw it. They're not worth knowing. Yep. Yeah, precisely. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard, right? Like, I know, I mean, you all, you all live in, you're in Miami, right? No, Orlando. Oh, Orlando. Sorry. You went to Miami recently. Yes, for school. Yeah. We've been all over the place there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, you know, it's it's kind of sometimes I think it's easy for us in big cities, right? Like, oh well, you know, big deal. Like I, you know, this, my, this person in my community is not, you know, is not um, is not cool. Then that's fine. But people who live in smaller communities, I think, have a much harder time with that, right? Like, uh, so th- there aren't that many options necessarily for for everyone, I guess. Um, well, and I try I try to remember that. Yeah, well, here, here's the funny part. We do live in a small town community outside of Orlando that has people that have lived three to four generations here, that wow. they went to the same elementary school. And oh, yeah. I was so used to living in a neighborhood that I could always volunteer. They always accepted. And this was the, I went to go try to sign up to volunteer. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, you need to be waitlisted because you're not. Um, Legacy. Legacy. Oh Have yeah! You ever heard of that? To... I cannot even believe that. That's awful. Yeah, because the only oh, time I've ever heard legacy was at a fraternity or sorority house or colleges. Yeah. Yes, never at an elementary school to volunteer my free time that got waitlisted. Oh, that is unbelievable. <laughs> oh so yeah, you, yeah. So you have, so you you get some of that experience then for sure. <laughs> Oh yeah, thankfully Orlando, which is a much bigger city, isn't far, and right. we don't we don't mind driving. So <laughs> yeah, Even in that traffic. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of scary for this Latina mom not go ape shit with the local white country people. <laughs> yes, 
I can only imagine. <laughs> well, it definitely has been a, uh, uh, I won't say clash, but merging of cultures. I've never wore camouflage in my life unless I was out in the woods hunting. And my daughter decides, you know, it's the new thing and wants camouflage socks and pants and a jacket. I'm like, do you realize in the city when you wear camouflage, you are more visible? She's like, that's yeah. not what it's about. That's not what it's about. <laughs> The, the, the surest way to get your kid to do the the the, the, the uh, what do you the reverse psychology you know right that looks so cool I'm gonna start doing the same thing and then they're like oh. <laughs> yeah I just can't do it I, I try I try well, I'm such a fa- fashionista I can't we, yeah. we did have one incident oh you <laughs> could tell about your underwear incident that was funny <laughs> well uh, she is my stepdaughter she moved in when she was ten. <clears throat> and somewhere around 14, <clears throat> she decided she doesn't wear need to wear shorts no more. It's her house. She's loungy. So she just wants to just, you know, lounge around. Lounge around in her pajamas, not wearing any bottoms there. And so, of course, she's wearing, you know, lacy panties, you know, thongy thongs. And, you know, we keep telling her. Not so but- much thongs, but lacy more, more than, I mean, again, no interest. Right. But it's yeah. still, to me... A little uncomfortable and inappropriate. Like, I, w- I wouldn't want my friends to walk over and my daughter's walking around like that. Totally get that. Now, <clears throat> she does help out with the laundry. <laughs> yeah. So I went on Amazon, and I did a search for <clears throat> under the gay section yeah. for nice, bright red jock straps. <laughs> and I bought it, <clears throat> and it came, and I threw it right in the wash. And one, about a day later, I get a... Uh, a yell going, what the hell is this? And so she assumed they were mine. And I said, oh, no, girl, those are your daddy's. And she flipped out. <laughs> and then I explained that if you don't put your pants on, that is what I'll be wearing around the house from here on forward, even when your friends come over. <laughs> oh, we nip that problem in the butt. That was that. But we still just throw it in the wash here and there just to remind her and freak her out. Can't say I've ever had the need to wear that one, but uh, yeah, it's, it served a purpose. I think you bought a couple more just to taunt her. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just so you know, these could come out at any time. <laughs> That's great. So... <clears throat> I was looking through your bio. Tell us more about uh, Talk and Thrive Education. Yeah, so um, I started in 2012, I think, um, because, so I live in Tennessee, and we have uh, very regressive uh, policies around uh, Bible sexuality belt. education. Huh? I said, <clears throat> Bible Belt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, apparently we really are the buckle of the Bible Belt. So anyway, um, so we have a we have a uh, law here called the Gateway Sexual Activity law, Bill that passed, um, and basically what that in essence did was made it uh, impossible for any outside organization uh, to come into public schools and do any kind of education about any behavior that could potentially lead to sex, or as I like to call it, breathing. Because that's in essence wow. what they're talking about. Yeah. So what that did is it, it, it really shut down 
you know, any kind of really good quality sex ed in the public schools. Um, that until now, until then, you know, had been kind of acceptable, but it's, there was still a lot of pushback. You could get in some places, but it wasn't against the law at the very least. So anyway, um, it's really hard to change, you know, school boards and certainly, you know, statewide legislation around these issues, especially here. So I was like, you know, I'm always getting parents, part of the pushback around this is parents are always saying, you know, I want to do this. I want to be the one to educate my child. I, you know, this is my job. And it is, in fact. Parents are the primary sexuality educators of their children, and they should be. However, most people don't do it, or they do it too late, actually, is what we're finding. And so, um, so I said, you know what? All right parents you say you want to do this you say you be, you want to be the ones to deliver this information you don't want the trained professionals to do it uh to do the heavy lifting for you in terms of the facts and you can do the values and you have to do everything okay great let's do it and so uh so that was part of the uh, uh the impetus of starting talk and thrive education and um and wanting to really give parents the tools the resources the skills to be able to have those conversations comfortably and reduce the awkwardness and, you know, take away as many obstacles um, uh, around this, around these conversations because they're important. And what I've realized recently is that even though I know and 100% believe that these conversations are so crucial and integral um, and can sometimes be life-saving conversations, um, I, I, I believed, I didn't think other people would buy that. And so it was more like, oh, you know, here, just if you get a chance, you should really have these conversations. I mean, not literally like that, but I think that was the attitude. I didn't really, um, I didn't realize that was kind of underlying my work. Um, when in fact, it's just, these conversations aren't optional. Like, they're just not. Um, I know that they can certainly be life-saving, but they can also be life-enhancing. Uh, I mean, I think you you do, I think, you do more work with adults. Uh, is that right? Or Yeah, mostly with adults and trying to teach them. I'm trying to get into the younger kids, especially the LGBTQ+, because yeah. they do need that information. Because, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the information here for the schools are abstinence only yeah. and heteronormative. So there's really not for the LGBT and we have a strong community. It's yeah. just not enough of those resources. And yeah. a lot of it also we um, kind of advocate is also um, sexual abuse and uh, sexual assault and rape because our daughter is a survivor. And because yeah. of her is what we started our journey and our advocacy to promote the importance of sex education to sexual pleasure, sexual healing, that all yeah. this is all, you know, all together. Because even when I teach my class of age appropriate, my, the first sentence I start, it's like, where did you learn your rela your healthy relationships? And everyone's like, wait a minute, we came here to learn about how to talk to our kids about sex. Well, guess what? That's part of it. How to yeah. have a healthy relationship. Was it Lucy Ricardo that you had the separate beds and the only reason yeah. they put the beds together is because she got knocked up pregnant and she's yeah. huge as a house? That was the whole reason they put the beds together. Yeah. 
Right. Because, uh, well, they had sex. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that, like, so much of, um, oh, I forgot my train of thought around parents wanting to do this and, uh, well, I guess just, you know, oh, yeah, okay, now I remember. So, so much of, you know, we see so much, so many problems, so much dysfunction with folks' uh, relationships, with, you know, people having crappy sex, mm-hmm. painful sex, uh, lack of orgasms, dealing with other sexual dysfunctions. Uh, I think it's one in four women, at least, uh, um, report, uh, you know, some, some level of sexual dysfunction. They're not all distressed by it, but they report some level of it. And I, and I can't help but believe that starting education, when it's appropriate, when they need it. So kids need to learn what they need to learn when they, when they need to learn it, right? Not later, but when they need it, um, can help prevent a lot of those issues, can help prevent a lot of the unhealthy relationships. Um, it can't eliminate them, I, I, don't, I don't think, but, but it can definitely help reduce and really in, improve the quality of people's lives. And um, so I just, these, they're just not optional. Like you just, you need to have these conversations. And, you know, parents say to me all the time, I was like, oh, but it's really awkward or uncomfortable or I'm scared. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's, that's parenting. Like half of the parenting life is doing it with fear. And knowing that, you know, I, I always give the analogy of drugs. I was like, if your kid, if you knew that you had to talk to your child about drugs and they were like no i don't want to hear about this or i i already know or i heard about it at school what would you say to them you would sit them down and make sure that they had a conversation with you or at the very least listened and because you know it's important well this is just as important in fact more important because drugs in general aren't necessarily well don't have to be a part of a person's healthy life and development right Mm -hmm. whereas sex generally is going to be for the most part. Um, And hopefully you don't want it to be traumatic. You don't want it to be uh, an abuse or a violation. You want it to be healthy. And so how do you help give them the tools that they need around that and and give it to them when they need them, not later? So um, so that's that's part of why I I, I form Talk and Thrive and why I do what I do um, and why I feel so strongly about it, as you can tell. No, the enthusiasm's coming through, and that's wonderful. <laughs> and, and that's very important because oftentimes in my workshops, I tell parents, it's like, look, I'm telling you this information because in a couple of years, I don't want to see your kids in my office, and I'm fixing them because you weren't able to talk to them. Yeah. And, and even they kind of give me a dirty look, some parents, because I get, I ask them, I was like, is this how you talk to your partner? Is this how you express what you want? I mean, are yeah. you able to say, hey, talk to me dirty, tie me up, do these crazy things, you know? When they're like, oh, we won't do that. It's like, stand sucio, sucio. I'm like, yeah, right, you know? Yeah. Well, but even, you know, yeah, for sure, being able to talk about kink stuff, but even just you know, what it is you want, yeah. uh, whether it's in bed or outside of bed. And when we can model for our children that, you know, um, this is okay to talk about. Like we can't, I, I think it's really silly to ask teens and, and adults 
Like, you need to talk about this. You need, really? Where, where did I learn to talk about it? The internet? They, you, you gave me no model for it. Um, and so I, they get to practice everything. You know, one of the questions I ask parents is, at what age do kids start to learn how to walk? And they're like, oh, you know, a year, you know, that kind of, I was like, no, they're learning how to walk from birth because they are gaining the skills, the strength, the proprioception, the balance, the, you know, learning depth, all of that, they start at birth in essence. Mm -hmm. um, and it's building from there. And so it's the same thing with this stuff. Everything builds. Um, I'm about to get the opportunity to, to do a series of workshops, which I rarely get the chance to do. You know, it's usually one-offs uh, for the most part. But I'm about to get to the opportunity to do a series, which I'm so happy about. And one of the exercises I'm going to do is I have, I have parents think about, you know, what if you picture your child as an adult, and in terms of their sexual life and their sexuality, what are the characteristics that you want them to bring to those experiences? Who do you want them to be sexually? And then once they've, you know, dealt out the list, then I'm going to draw direct lines between that and the behaviors as children that help to build the foundation for that. It's like you can't just jump the shark, you know, mm -hmm. and... You know, it's not all of a sudden at puberty or a teenager. It's like, oh, I got to deal with this. I got to take it. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, that's been building for a very long time. And so to help them make the connection, because I think that's the hardest thing. Parents have a really hard time thinking of their children's as children as sexual beings uh, from the moment that they're born. Um, I had another conversation recently with another parent who called me because uh, her teenager had stolen her vibrator. <laughs> Ouch! Oh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay. So and she's generally she's very progressive, very liberal. So I knew I could, you know, you get to, you know, what you can, how you can coach people around that. But anyway, yeah, I said to her, so what's the main thing that you want to get across around this? Do you want to get across that, you know, it's not okay to steal? Is this a a, a trust thing? Is this uh, you want her to feel comfortable coming to you about sex? Like, what what is it? And she was like jokingly, but not so. She's like, well, mostly I really want to get my vibrator back. <laughs> <laughs> but she said, you know, she was feeling sad because she had, they had had very, a lot of conversations about sex. She's been very open with her. Um, and so she was just felt disappointed that her daughter somehow didn't feel comfortable enough to come to her about this. Right. Because a vibrator is not something that you're just not going to notice isn't there. Right. Like that's, that's, you're going to notice. And the, so, th and there, there's only two of them living in the house. So, like, yeah, I'm gonna. So it didn't just yeah. disappear. <laughs> no one broke in and stole the vibrator and left everything else. Obviously, the kid took it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just freaking out for the mom. Maybe she had that moment. She had that urge, and next thing you know, I was like, "Fuck! I can't find it, and I got a release." Yep. So, so I, so we finally we were talking, and you know, I, I said, um, what she said is. I don't want to embarrass her by having her have to think about both of us using a vibrator. And I said, well, that's done. Like, you had a vibrator. She, why would you have one unless you were going to use it? And now you're picturing her using a vibrator and she's picturing you. Like, it's done. And really what, that, what it came down to is being able to acknowledge that they're both sexual beings. 
and that they both have sexual feelings. And if, if we can acknowledge that, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So, of course, I, I recommended that they go vibrator shopping together. <laughs> Amazon, here they come. Exactly. Uh, well, in this case, it might be nice to do hands-on. <laughs> yeah, well, if she's 18, yeah, she can go to the adult boutiques there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we yeah. find the same thing. A lot of it is convincing the parents on why it's important because they don't look at their children as sexual beings. No. And we've been rephrasing a lot of it to say... It's not really, sex is a part of a relationship, and it's not the entire relationship, but it's there. Yeah. And you need to go ahead and at least have them confident to deal with it. Sure, we get the biology. Penis goes in vagina, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone thinks that's what we're talking about uh, when we talk about sex. And I came up for a generation where adults told us what to do, and you did it. Right. Right. And... I'm sure, and I have friends, a lot of sexual abuse came from you did what they told you to. And when a predator came and said, do this, now shut up and don't tell no one, you did it out of fear. And now I find I have friends that are raising a girl, I mean, as young as two years old, that I went ahead and went to give her a hug. And she took a step back at two and went, I didn't give you consent. And. I was trying not to laugh, and I said, okay, well, when you're ready for a hug, give me one. And she jumped at me. So she wanted the hug, but she wanted to go ahead and say, I know what consent is, and yeah. I will revoke it from you at any point in time. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's I'm sure, and I'm sure you do this as well, uh, that, you know, that, that, that's one of those behaviors that you get to lay a foundation for very early on in life is, you know, you don't have to do what adults tell you to do regarding your body. You know, like if you don't want to kiss or a hug, you don't have to give it. You, that is, it is not, it is not necessary. And you do get to give permission or not. And that helps children realize that they have agency and that they have power. Um, because bottom line is, you know, this is what I always tell parents too, is bottom line is the kids that we tend to see with problems around their sexuality um, much later on, particularly in terms of sexually acting out, they're not the kids that, you know, had really sex positive parents and they talked to them about sex and, you know, if they needed birth control, they helped them get it and, you know, helped them talk about relationships. Like those aren't the kids that are in trouble generally. No. <laughs> um, it's the kids who didn't get any of that, you know, and who didn't feel empowered and didn't feel okay about their bodies. Um, those are the kids that tend to have more trouble. Of course, that's, that's you know, both generalizations, but, um, but yeah, it is, it's so important and so crucial, um, to start these conversations and keep them going more importantly, not just, not just starting them. Agreed. Yeah. I think that's always the hard part for anybody is to just start the conversation because once the conversation started, I've noticed that it still keeps flowing. Sometimes not perfect, but at least they try to continue on. It's just getting them to the starting line. Yeah. I, 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 what I say to parents is, um, I said, you can know nothing about sex. You can know nothing about how to answer your child's question about it. You can zero and you can still have make uh, make them more likely to come back to you when they have questions because what you're setting up is a dialogue and an environment and a dynamic 
that you that you are someone safe that they can talk to and they're not going to be shamed for it they're not going to be told they're too young or that they shouldn't be asking those questions or you know or made to feel bad about it um and you can do all of that without knowing the answer to their question because that again it's about the connection and it's about the relationship that's more important than anything else because you can find out anything like you can do research on anything there is in the world um I don't know everything for sure around this topic by any means, uh, but I know I can find out, and I know, um, and I know that I will if I don't know. Oh, absolutely! There. Well, our time is up, Emmy. Thank you so very much for being on the show. Appreciate it. We had a blast there. So, tell our listeners how they're able to find you. Yeah. So my website is um, uh, talkandthrive.com. Um, and, um, I actually have a, an online class that helps parents, uh, really figure out that framework, kind of like help them think through and really look at sort of the big picture. It's called the seven essential tools for raising sexually healthy children. Um, and for your listeners, especially, uh, they can get 20% off the class if they use the code friend. Um, and, um, yeah, thank you. uh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, and I, I think it's a really good, uh, I think it's a really amazing uh, tool and resource for parents. Um, it's a 75 minute long class, but it's broken up into eight videos. So to make it as easy as possible for uh, for busy, busy parents and caregivers around that. Um, and I also do coaching as well uh, and in-person workshops, but you know, traveling. Traveling can be kind of hard and expensive. Uh, so, uh, that's why I'm, I'm trying to go to online classes to make it more accessible to folks. Yeah, definitely. The more online, the better. So that way the rest of the world could be educated and, you know, especially those people hiding in the hills that don't want to come out and admit that they need sex education. Yeah, (laughs) indeed. It's a a very, uh, um, uh, anonymous and, and safe way. To, to get some sex ed. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you everyone for listening. You can find me everywhere on Living a Sex Positive Life on social media, our website, livingasexpositivelife.com. We also like to thank our sponsor of the show, The Woodshed Orlando. We just came back from their phenomenal, I mean, we're going to still re- write a review. We're, we're running behind because we got one more event, Florida Power Exchange this weekend, but fire was amazing beyond amazing there so i can't wait for next year i know it, it, yeah it, yeah we're going to do a video and written review because 55 scenes or 60 i don't know i, I lost count <laughs> i believe they said 65 simultaneous scenes were going on at the same same yeah. time so same time roping dungeon play but the roping was amazing to see how everyone does different techniques different patterns different ways oh my god well the performances um honestly rivaled some uh what is it Cirque du Soleil Cirque du Soleil acts they were just that amazing yeah impressive so so anyway if you're trying to reach me uh I'm John C. Luna on Twitter and Facebook and FetLife so say hi if you uh want to suggest a topic or have any questions just please reach out 
Yeah, and we will talk to you soon because we are working on our affiliate program so you guys could love and support us and take care of us financially because, you know, we can't work for free for so long. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Have a good night.